Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. That was good, wasn't it? I, my youth group growing up um, was really important to me. I am very thankful for my youth group, so I'm thankful for Johnny, and I'm excited when Callum joins next year. So that was good to hear from the RISE students. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we were here when we got to be part of the children's lesson. Do you remember that? That was a really meaningful time. So I'm, it's so good to, to see what our children are doing and to learn from them, which goes along with what we're going to talk about today is playfulness. So you see that you have this card on your, on your seat. This is for if you want to take notes on the back or whatever. We'll get to this later. Um, yeah. So playing and praying, rhythms of grace, we're going to find out, talk about that. A few years ago, my in-laws, so gracious people, they always take us on vacation. Very, very grateful for them. They took us to the Outer Banks. Has anyone been to the Outer Banks? Yes? Okay. Very fun. So Callum and I went boogie boarding, and we, we enjoyed doing that. We probably have a picture of that, too, of Callum boogie boarding. And so we were just having a blast, really enjoying our time. And then the waves started getting stronger and stronger, as you know, that happens. But this one particular wave just knocked us off our feet. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, I'm telling you, I didn't know what was up, what was down, what was left or right. And all I could do was hold on to that boogie board for dear life (laughs) until I was back on the shore. And first thing, of course, is, is Callum okay? Okay, he's okay. We're both coughing up salt water and, you know, just really, we were really shaken by that. And so later that night, um, after Callum went to bed, I went back to the shore, went back to the beach as the sun was setting, and we just sat and watched. And I thought about that wave, and I really had this sense of the playfulness of God. And let me explain. Sometimes there's a wildness in creation, isn't there? And we'll get to that. But as I thought about that wave, I thought about the, I, th- I, th- I thought about the, the wildness, the, um, just the unpredictability of things. You probably know this image here. It reminded me of Aslan. If you like C.S. Lewis and the lion, the, yep, Trisha's shaking her head. She knows exactly where I'm going with this. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. So Aslan has just been killed by the white witch. And Susan and Lucy have seen this happen. And um, they are so sorrowful. He has willingly given his life. And he's so, they're so sorrowful. They stay with him. And then in the morning, as they're wiping their tears, they hear a crash, and the, the stone has broken. Chrissy, when we were talking about this, she reminded me of this too. The, st- the stone is broken, and they look, and Aslan has risen from the dead. And so Aslan says, you know what, children? I, 
I think I need to play a little bit. So he, he, he roars, this big roar, and he starts playing, and they start chasing him. And Lewis writes, it was such a romp as no one has ever seen except in Narnia. And whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. And in the same way, that wave just knocked us off our feet. And I kept thinking, that's the wildness of God. That's the strength of God. Almost, was it like a kitten or was it like a thunderstorm that came? And so I, I think that's just a really good picture as, as we imagine the playfulness of God. We're going to continue this series, Rhythms of Grace. Ben, two weeks ago, talked about fasting and feasting. And he said, whether we know it or not, we have rhythms in our life. We have different ways that we have created and different practices that we do. And so why not practice these, the ones that the church has, has done for thousands of years? So, of course, today we're going to be talking about playing and praying. If you've been at Renew for a while and you've worked with the little ones, you know that Tim and Cindy Culp talk a lot about praying and playing for our kids, especially in the nursery. And often Tim will go around and pray over each child while they play, or let's be serious, while they cry and wait for their moms and dads to come back in the door, which is often what happens. So when Doug asked if I would be willing to discuss the playfulness of God, I, um, I think he talked a lot. He asked me because of the Capture the Flag Club, which I'm more than happy to talk about later. <laughs> um, but I thought, I'm not, I, I honestly am not the best at playing. Just ask my son. But I, but I want to be. And I also wanted to believe that God was playful. I didn't want to make the assumption, but just because I wanted to believe that God was playful didn't necessarily mean that God was playful. So I did a lot of reading. Doug and I met and we geeked over a lot of books <laughs> that I had. But the one book that I'm going to refer to a lot today is this one, The God Who Plays. And if you are interested in what we're talking about, you may borrow my book. This was a wonderful, wonderful book. If you're interested, this... We do not, of course, have time this morning, but the history of the theology of play, the playfulness of God, what is play, definitions of play, and also um, practices that the church has actually done through the years. So if you want to borrow this book, please do. Um, but this morning, like I said, we don't have time to talk all about, all about this. But I do want you to know that after my reading, I took some time and I read it. I, I do believe that we can say that there is a playfulness in God. And I'm not just saying that because I want it to happen. I, I, I do. I really think that there is. So let's dive into this. And I think we're going to see it in three main parts. So first, we're going to talk about the playfulness in creation. And then the playfulness and suffering, and then the playfulness in the kingdom that is and the kingdom that will be. And finally, if we have time and it's not dinner time yet, <laughs> we will talk about what does that mean for this week? What are practices that you can do that I can do this this week? So the first is creation. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, however you're gonna read, I would ask you to take it out or listen. I'm gonna read some. So of course we can go to Genesis. That's about play too. We can go 
talk about the, um, a lot of the passages in the Psalms that talks about um, the playfulness in creation. But we're going to actually go to Proverbs 8. And in Proverbs 8, it talks about wisdom, Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom was there at creation. So let me read, let me read this passage, Proverbs 8, starting in verse 22. And when I'm done reading, I want a, just a quick time of response. What are the phrases, what are words that you're hearing? And I'll just ask you to just um, shout them out. So Proverbs 8, starting in verse 22. The Lord brought me, just talking about wisdom, forth as the first of God's works before God's deeds of old. I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before God made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when God marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When God established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. When God gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep God's command. And when God marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at God's side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in God's presence, rejoicing in God's whole world and delighting in humankind. So what did you notice? What words or phrases did you notice? Yes, delighted. No. Thanks, Dave. Rejoicing, that's right, Kim. Relational, that's right, Steve. Yeah, Lady Wisdom was the first thing. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you, Adrian. Anything else? Isn't it interesting? When we think of wisdom, we often think of this somber thing. And yet, that is not what, those aren't the phrases that you use, delighting, um, rejoicing, relational. Some commentaries from this passage will state that, that wisdom was like the craftsman, the one helping create. Some would say that actually wisdom was more like a newborn, more passive. But all agree that the language used in this is playfulness. So let me read a quote um, from this book. It says, Proverbs 8 describes the joy of eternal wisdom present with God at the creation of the universe as a form of play. Church leaders such as Aquinas were following the tradition that includes the teaching of Maximus the Confessor, what a name, who worked out an entire mystical theology of a playing God for whom both creation and incarnation, incarnation are playful expressions of God's love. Proverbs 8 provides only a hint of the eternal playfulness that has taken place since before the beginning of time and which will be revealed at the end of time. So Angela, the next slide. We have here Lady Wisdom, which is very interesting. 
and the playfulness in creation with that. And so there is playfulness in creation. And this is just one of many passages, isn't it? And so there's playfulness in suffering. Um, it seems like an odd choice, doesn't it? But if playfulness can't stand up to the complexities of life, then I'm not really sure playfulness is, we can say that there's, that God can be playful. And I, I do know there's a time to mourn, and I know that uh, many of you are in a time of mourning now. So I don't mean to make light of this. Um, we all have been in times of mourn where playfulness is not very present. So I, I recognize that. Um, but to talk about suffering, I thought we could talk about Job. Now, in the book of Job, we read that Job was a really upright man. He was very righteous. So upright, in fact, that if you want to turn in your Bibles to Job 1, verse 4 and 5, it states that Job would offer sacrifices for sins that his children had not yet even committed. Um, let me read this. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, Job would make sacrifices and would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, well, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. We'll remember that. So then the rest of the long chapters, right? And Job up till chapter 37, the accuser asks, asks permission to take away Job's wealth, his family, and his health. And so there's a lot of talking from Job, a lot of talking from his friends. Um, and then the next slide we have. But then God speaks to Job out of the whirlwind. This is a painting by William Blake. And so in chapter 38, if you want to turn to there, I know I'm making you jump around a lot. God answers Job, and not in the way that we would expect him to answer. Ellen F. Davis writes, God simply passes over the moral issue as Job has posed it in the previous chapters. And God directs his attention elsewhere to something that seems to interest God more, namely the non-human elements of the universe. God answers in two poems that offers a God's eye view of the world. Of course, we can't read all of it to um, chapters 38 to 42, but I would encourage you to maybe read that today or sometime. But let me read a little snippet. So in Job 38, verse 4 through 9, God answers, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. God continues and talks about snow, light, darkness, constellations, animals from ostriches to um, lions. 
There's a wildness in creation. So back to playfulness in creation. There's a wildness in this. There's vulnerability and there's freedom in play. As a counselor, I see a lot of adults who've had a lot of challenges in their life. And many of them will talk about um, that they didn't have much play. They don't remember a lot of play in their life growing up. Maybe there was trauma or chronic um, something going on in their life. Um, we can only have play when there's safety. And so I also see a lot of kids, and I'm a, trained as a ch child-centered play therapist. And so often when kids will come, their play is very um, rigid and not very flexible. So for example, I use a lot of sand trays. And they'll pick little miniature little figurines, but they'll only pick a few. And they'll use a lot of fences. And so it's very structured. There's not a lot of movement. Um, there's not a lot of um, storyline. There's a, it's very even, a lot of, and then they'll help me clean up, which is an indication. It's not a good indication. It's good to clean their room, but in, in counseling, you don't need to clean up. So anyway, but as, as they progress through play, as they feel more comfortable, their sand tray expands. And what I mean by that is they have more miniatures. They have more figurines in their sand tray. There's less fences. It's, it's more messy, and they don't feel the need to help me clean up. And I know progress has happened then. I know that the children are working out, or adults that do sand tray. I know they're working out their, their issues through play. I bring this up because at the end of Job's story in chapter 42, Job says that he's seen God, and he is humbled and he is satisfied. And I'll even say he is saved. A theme verse has actually been um, chapter 42, verse 5. It said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And so what that shows is Job has learned to be more playful. He actually, in verses 13 through 15, he says, it says he has seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named, um, the translation is Dove. The second, he names cinnamon. And the third, he names horn of eyeshadow. Very interesting. What does that mean? Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And Job in granted them an inheritance. So Ellen F. Davis summarizes so well. Sensuous names like cinnamon and dove are not the biblical norms. And naming for a daughter for a cosmetic horn of eyeshadow well, that's just way over the top. And to give daughters inheritances, well, that was just unheard of. And so to the next slide, because I just think it's so good. The two portraits of Father Job that stand at either end of the book mark the true measures of his transformation. Job, this man of integrity who was once so very careful, fearful of God and the possible sins of his children, becomes at last the free-willing, breaking with custom to honor daughters alongside sons, bestowing inheritances and snappy names. The inspiration and model for this wild style of parenting is, of course, God the Creator. Job learned about it when God spoke out of the whirlwind. And now Job loves with the abandoned characteristic of God's love. Revolutionary and seeking our freedom, Reveling in the untamed beauty, and I added play, of every child. Isn't that good?
Job Santre, as Doug, brought, Doug helped me see, was very rigid. And then what was it? It was wild at the end. His Santre was full of miniatures and a mess, and it was lovely because he had learned to play. And that is not, again, to make light of the sorrow and the losses that he had. But his, he had seen God. That's what he wanted, seeing God. It's so good, isn't it? Such good stuff. So there's playfulness in creation, and there's playfulness in suffering. And then there's playfulness in the kingdom that is and that will be. Our last passage for this, this morning is Zechariah. So if you want to turn to Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. The Lord of armies says this, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. The Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of armies will be called the holy mountain. The Lord says, old men and old women will again sit in the public squares of Jerusalem each person with his staff in his hand because of age. And the public squares of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. So Zechariah writes this after the Jewish people have um, returned from Babylonian exile, but they haven't been fully restored. The temple isn't fully built yet. And the, them as a people, their culture hasn't been for, for fully restored yet either. But yet there's hope in this. What do we hear? that there will be laughter in the streets, that children will play in the streets. Now the next image, I came across this image and thought we could look, about, look at it for a moment. This is the reality for many around the world, isn't it? But isn't there, there's a little bit of hope in this. Do you see the smiles? One day that man is going to trade his gun and his uniform. We may not even be able to recognize him in, in civilian clothing. Unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, this might not necessarily be our reality, but um, it is much of the world, like I said. Our days, though, are filled with work, aren't they? We have work. And in our work and in our culture, we're really focused on productivity, aren't we? Numbers and outcomes. And I don't know what that means for your work. And I don't just mean your job that you're paid in. I mean what your daily, daily activities are like. Gordon Dahl says, most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, to work at their play, and to play at their worship. Let me read that again, because I was, oh, I felt that. Most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, to work at their play, and to play at their worship. Now, work is good, isn't it? But we tend to, um, we tend to sometimes worship it. And sin not only damaged our relationship with God and with others, but sin damaged our relationship with work. Here's the next slide. I believe this is what the kingdom of God will be like. We have moments on the right side, don't we? 
where we're enjoying sharing, appreciating. We do a lot, right? But eventually we'll be enjoying. We have, and we have a lot, but eventually the joy in the kingdom will be sharing. And achieving is good. There's nothing wrong with achieving, but won't it be wonderful when we can just sit and appreciate? And we have moments of this, don't we, on the right side? We have moments of just enjoying, of sharing, of appreciating. And just as a, just as a side note, there's a lot of people around the world that um, through oppression and um, are, are really stuck on the left side. And what can we do? Many of us are middle class. What can we do to help people Sabbath and start doing things on the right, start enjoying, start sharing, appreciating? Again, I don't have time to fully think through that, but it's just something to consider. What can we do to help our neighbors who are oppressed, who don't have a lot of time to enjoy, share, and appreciate? Our last slide. So we've seen the playfulness of God in creation, in suffering, and in the kingdom that is and that will be. And so this week, I'm going to encourage you to do the following. Pray. So you have this card here. Use this prayer or use the back and write your own prayer. Edgar writes, prayer is a form of play. It involves freedom, lack of obligation, and dynamic interaction. Just like playing, the outcome, outcome can't be predicted in prayer and worship. And that is what play is, right? You don't play because you know exactly what you're going to do. That's very rigid play. But free playing is you don't know what's going to happen. You enter this creative world, and you don't know, what's gonna ha- you don't know what will end up happening. And so... Can I ask every meal, maybe, this is kind of a good practice for me, at least, every meal, pray. And pray, this goes to our second thing, for a playful attitude. Um, Eugene Peterson, in Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, he's discussing the poem as Kingfisher's Catch Fire by Gerald Manley Hopkins. And Peterson writes, the central verb in this poem is play. And it catches the exuberance and freedom that mark life when it is lived beyond necessity, beyond mere survival. And so pray for a playful attitude. Not just, oh, I'm just going to play more games. That's not what this is necessarily about. And once you have prayed... And once you have asked God for a playful attitude, look for opportunities to play. And I don't know what that's going to look like for your, in your life. That might be taking another route to work. That might be a secret handshake with your child. Callum um, recently had a secret handshake with me. And I love it. Now I can get to the point of, okay, I have to go. Or I can revel in the playfulness. That's a playful attitude. As the worship team comes back up, let me leave you again this quote by Brian Edgar. The suggestion that doing a bit less work and playing a few more games 
is the secret to a strong spiritual life runs the risk of trivializing the matter. No, the real order of things is precisely the reverse. That a rich spiritual life leads one to play and to all that is involved in the playful attitude of life, including contentment in all situations, complete trust in God, the absence of worry and despair, and the presence of joy and happiness despite the problems of all kinds of pain. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you are playful. I thank you that our children teach us this. I thank you, thank you that we are not too old to remember this. And I ask that you give us a playful attitude this week. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.